a believer of the word of God. I am an epistle of the spirit of God. I am a disciple of my man of God. I am a finder of the destiny path of God for my life. Amen, amen. Just want to certainly acknowledge those of you that are watching with us on Facebook and YouTube as we are in our second part of the series. We are so glad that you joined us to start this one. Um, you know, there is so much depth to this um, that me and one of the ministers, we just are talking about this. We don't know how long this thing can go because it could just be that kind of thing that it can keep going uh, because there's just so much depth to it. And um, I'm really seeking God for ways to share these things to you in ways that's consistent with things you already know. Um, there's always truth has a consistency to it. It's a single book by a single author. And so it, there should be some things that are consistent. And so we, we're we definitely continuing on in this. We're expecting that you'll see um, truths, codes, keys that are discernible, that you know, I know that's true, and that you'll have time to give us your questions and so on. And then we'll have some services where we'll actually allow you just to flash things up. I will just take all comers and see what the Lord says and uh, see if that can be a blessing to you as well. All right, so stay tuned with us. We'll have a way for you to sow into the word at the end of this. And then we also want to invite you to a couple of our upcoming events. So don't, don't leave after the message is over. All right, so back to the future. Revelation on end time events has been our um, topic here. We talked about the fact that um, when Dr. Marty Barclay, who is one of my fathers in the faith, um, came, he ministered on these things. And so I had gotten a prompting from one of the members to say, Pastor, I would love it if you would um, teach and preach on this. And so taking both of those things to heart, I spent some time with the Lord and I felt like the Lord wanted me to do something um, in this regard. And so we always take things that we get at the end of the year in our leadership conference from our fathers um, in the faith and even from um, some of my mothers in the faith, including Apostle and a few others. We take their input and then we pray it through at the end of the year. And then we ask God, OK, from what they've said, what do you want us to do for ministry in the coming year? just one of the ways that I have some accountability. It's one of the ways that um, <clears throat> I work to have fresh prophetic and apostolic revelation in the house and that we build from a foundation from those that are more senior um, to me in ministry. And um, so we gave you these five of the eight prophetic impressions, and we'll just start with those again, um, and I'll just go through them briefly. Um, number one, we said God is gracing the mature aligned believer to multiply, to evangelize, follow up, disciple, and oversee your commanded commission and empowered leverage your position among them to call them out of darkness into the marvelous light, right? And the key point of this is that Jesus said that the gospel of the kingdom will be preached throughout all the world for a witness, then the end would come. 
So sometimes people want to spend their time sitting down watching end-time events instead of being an end-time event. Right? So if your perspective is, I'm just going to sit down and watch the signs, then you don't have it right. The purpose of you understanding where we are in God's prophetic time clock is so that you can get in the game. And then, just like any other great um, championship sport, in the final minute, some of the best plays happen. The greatest highlights happen. And so what you must understand is that God intends for you to be the human highlight film as he climaxes the ages. All right? Number two, prayers for intercession and spiritual warfare will be necessary to reap the onslaught of souls. Earnestly contend for souls to be brought into the faith, withstand the onslaught of wickedness in our day. As you call your loved one out before God, he will move on their lives. Jesus said it was just like in the days of Sodom and Gomorrah um, when they asked the disciples asked them. And we'll, we'll look at all of those scriptures before this series is over. So I'm referencing them. I don't know where that is, Pastor. Uh, you will before we finish the series. Okay. But if you've spent some time reading Jesus' accounts of the end times when his disciples asked him the signs of the ends of the world, he talked about it was like the days of Sodom and Gomorrah, and then he talked about Lot and Lot's wife, okay? But we learned, as because we've been studying on our covenant with Abraham, that Abraham prayed Lot out of trouble. So my faith is that if I get out and some of my family ain't ready, that my prayers are going to get them through whatever else they're going to have to go through. Because I don't plan on being here going through more than I need to. But if you decide you want to tribulate, I'm still going to be praying that God going to pull you out because I'm praying. He pulled out a lot because Abraham was praying. So I just believe that my prayer does something and can move God in the situations of my family and those that I love. All right. Number three, there's both a cloud of glory and a cloud of darkness coming up on the earth. Choose to run towards the glory, resign to be swallowed up by the darkness. And we talked about that there are these diverging destinies that are happening. And so our statement is we want to understand everything it takes to be in the glory cloud. There's protection. Okay. And so remember. If he said it's, it's just like there was times when there were people that were protected and then other people was going through all kinds of bad stuff. Both of those were happening at the same time. And so I'm choosing to be on the side that's with God. How about you? Amen. Number four, be found in a house, an altar of God. Are you still willing to repent and to consecrate yourself? If you judge yourself, you will not be judged with the world. That for me is a huge one. Like communion, that's that in the communion passages of scriptures, it makes that statement. It says, I can do stuff and judgment be do me. But if I come to the altar and get it dealt with, when the judgment is going out on the world, it can't touch me because I already got mine fixed. Okay, doesn't mean I'm perfect, 
but it means I'm coming and getting that perfect blood applied to my situation. I'm judging it. I'm dealing with it. God calls it out. I'm going to call it what God calls it. If he calls it a sin, I'm not going to just call it a sickness. Oh, they got a sickness of this kind of addiction. Well, if he calls it a sin, I'm not just going to call it a sickness. You understand what I'm saying? I'm going to call it what he calls it. Because if I judge it the way he judges it, then I get the benefit of the fact that my judgment was poured out on Jesus and his blood is applied to me. Then when judgment is going on with the world, I've already got my stuff dealt with. All right. And then finally, finally, number five, you are a hypocrite. If you do not understand the signs of the times, when you begin to see these things lift up your head, your redemption draws nigh. And that's the main one that we're going to spend time talking about. Just understanding. And we'll go through the scripture where Jesus said, hey, you don't discern the signs of the times. You just hypocrite. You just play in church. Hypocrite is a play actor. Right. I think it was a couple of days, maybe a day or two ago where the Emmys were. Was that last night, sweetie? The Emmys? Yes. Okay. I have to ask my darling bride, right? And uh, so we celebrate people who can play act. Best performer and such and such and such. And best performer of this. Best performer of that. But I think there should be Emmys for the church. Because the word hypocrite literally means to be an actor. And sometimes the best play actors, we got Hollywood beat, I'm just saying, is in church. And uh, you don't, heaven doesn't give you credit for play acting. There's no Emmys and Grammys and Tony Awards and Stellars and Dove Awards for play acting in church. God's telling us we got to be serious about this thing. So we want to understand the times because if we don't understand what time we're in, we're just playing pickup basketball and we're not playing to win a game. Okay. Pickup basketball was fun, but we didn't know. We just played till we got tired. There was no, you know what I'm saying? It was, it was cool, but it wasn't the same as if we were trying to win the game. Right. And if you're trying to win the game, you must know the time element associated with it. Seven objectives we've given you, right? Number one, to provide perspective into God's prophetic scriptures. Two, we said to illuminate end-time events um, that is consistent with all other texts of Holy Scripture full of hope, faith, and love. So if you come out of um, these scriptures and then you just scared like, oh, my God, come on, come on, come on. You didn't get it right. The rest of the book is gospel. This has got to be gospel too. Three, to acknowledge that God is both full of grace and mercy and also vengeance and judgment. There are warming, warming scriptures. He loves us oh how. Oh, that made me feel all ooey gooey inside. But just like there are warming scriptures, there are warning scriptures. And if we apply and believe the one, we can't believe the one without believing the other. Right? That's he the same Jesus. So I can't, I can't 
take one without the other. The only way I can do that is if I ignore the sections of the Bible that give me the warning. And just because I ignore them doesn't mean that I haven't been warned. <laughs> okay, so I can act like I don't know if I want to. He going to treat me like I knew what was available. Number four, to highlight patterns, principles, and personality profiles that appear repetitively in Scripture, enabling us to look backward but see forward. And we did that last week. We talked about, for instance, about the fact that the Scripture says, out of Egypt I've called my son, and I took you all the way, and I walked you all the way back up from um, the book of Exodus all the way out to Revelation using that scripture and it being repeated because there's patterns that you can see. And then I also talked to you about the fact that, you know, Malachi said that there would before the great and terrible day that there would become come a prophet in the spirit and power of Elijah. And I said that while John the Baptist fulfilled that in one instance, he wasn't to complete fulfillment because it was repeated again. And I said that while he came before the great day of the Lord, the terrible day of the Lord has not happened yet. Does that make sense? All right. Number five, to develop a prophetic viewpoint that informs our view on global events, but is not unduly influenced such that we try to conform biblical prophecy to current events resulting in speculation, not spiritual expectation. All right. Now, why is that? Why is that important? Because some people will see, well, I heard, you know, there is this computer um, in, in Europe someplace that is called the beast computer. And if you do this, then you're going to get the mark of the beast. Hold it, hold it, hold it, hold it, hold it. Let's not do that. Let's just let the word tell us what it's going to say instead of letting the world tell us what the word says. And so last Last week, I gave you an example of how we let the word inform the world instead of vice versa. And I said, we read the scripture in Revelation where it talked about those two witnesses. And it says that they were they were killed in the city where the Lord was crucified, speaking of Jerusalem. But then it called it spiritually Sodom and Egypt. And I said, for that to be true then that nation has to eventually give itself over to same-sex marriage for it to spiritually be called Sodom, because that's what that meant, right? So if I look at the signs, I can see the beginnings of that happening, right? Now, I didn't go to them and start saying, ooh, 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 this must be the end times, because I went to the Word and said, this has to happen there for this to be true, right? And if you spend some time, you can see that it's beginning to happen, just like the Apostle John said it would. Number six, to motivate you to be on your about your father's business through understanding, through through an understanding of God's prophetic time clock. The most exciting part of the game is in its final seconds. In other words, if you are the team that's on the on the field before Jesus come back. He didn't put his weak players out. There must be strength in you to finish 
your course with strength. Why? Because Jesus is coming back for a spotless church without a, a bride, without spot, wrinkle, or any such thing. He's expecting that he's sitting at his, the Father's right hand. Scripture tells us, until his enemies be made his footstool. But he's the head. The footstool doesn't just mean they're subject to him. The footstool, because we're the body, mean they're subject to us. So we're not getting out of here like um, Captain Kirk saying, beam me up, Scotty. I can't make it. I'm Star Trek, okay, for all of you people. That's a Star Trek reference. Beam me up, Scotty, because I can't, I can't make it. No, 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 no. God intends for us to go out in power. That his church will fight every enemy, and there will only be one enemy left. That last enemy is death. And then there is a generation that's going to come on the scene. I don't know if it's in my lifetime or not. But there's a generation that's going to come on the scene that's going to be death itself. And then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up to be with him in the air. Yes. Yeah. So what we must realize is every generation is supposed to take the truth of the gospel that they inherited, and then they're supposed to beat the enemies that their parents beat and then beat a new level of devil out their way until we push all the devils back. Right. Now, see, what we're used to is generational curses where the devil beat my daddy and my granddaddy and then he that same devil beat me. No, 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 no. No, church. No. You're supposed to there's supposed to be a level of victory that I walk in in my generation and then I lay my hands on my children and say, you're going to walk in my victory and even greater. Okay. Do you, do you see that's a whole different picture? Okay. Well, I man, I thought it was going to get evil. It is going to get evil for those that's out there, but I don't plan on being out there. I'm going to be the ones that's prepared for Jesus coming. Now, the rest of them people, they can do what they want to, right? So while the world was getting worse and worse, Noah was preparing his ark. So what I'm telling you is you need to be building something that'll carry you and your family up. I'm just saying. I'm asking God, are there principles Things that I should be teaching, are there prophecies, is there ways of ministering that I should be instituting in this church just like Noah instituted so when all the world goes down, everybody that's associated with us goes up? I think that's something that, you, I, th I think that's something every pastor should be praying. Okay, I read that. He said it's going to be like the days of Noah then I need to be the guy building the ark. <laughs> I need to be the guy that's doing something to make sure that everybody that listens to me and does what I tell them to do, they the people that going up and not going down. Does that make sense? And that's why we're teaching this. And then finally, 
Number seven, our objective is to give you comfort, confidence, and hope that God has a plan for your deliverance from darkness as he ushers in a new age. Now I'm going to go straight to the first Thessalonians 5, 1 through 9. I gave you Isaiah 61 through 3. It just talks about that there was light and darkness, but I'm going to skip that one. Let's go to first Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 1 through 9. As we go back to the future, what we can see is that there is a pattern in Scripture that um, things can be going good for you while they're going bad for other people. Okay? Noah was in the ark while destruction was happening in the, earth, in the world. Um, plagues were in Egypt, destroying Pharaoh and the Egyptians while the children of Israel had light in their dwellings with the blood post over their house. Nobody was, no death was coming to them while death was going on all around them. Right? And uh, fire was destroying Sodom and Gomorrah while Lot was escaping and while Abraham was watching the whole thing burn down out of his tent window. So we want to be those people that understand. Listen, 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 listen. I know there's people, there's, there's, there's Christians that want to tribulate, and you can tribulate with them if you want to. But if God made a way for me to escape, I'm going to take it. Okay? 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 1 through 9 says, But concerning the times and seasons, brethren, you have no need that I shall write to you, for you yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord, that underline that if you're in your scripture, the day of the Lord, the day of the Lord. So comes as a thief in the night for when they say peace and safety, then sudden destruction comes upon them as labor pains upon a pregnant woman and they shall not escape. But you, brethren, are not in darkness. You are not in darkness so that that this day should overtake you as a thief. You are all sons of light and sons of the day. We are not of the night nor the darkness. Therefore, let us not sleep. Or as the kids would say today, stay woke. Let us not sleep as others do, but let us watch and be sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night. And those who, be, who get drunk, get drunk, are drunk at night. But let us who are of the day be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love, and as a helmet, the hope, the blueprint, the picture of salvation. Remember everything that I've taught you about hope now. I got a blueprint that says, God, when all of this stuff is going on around me, you get me up out of here. That's the picture I have in my head. I, I ain't guessing. Right. Verse verse nine, for God did not appoint us to wrath. Let me say that one more time. For God did not appoint us to wrath. Let me say it a third time just for good measure. For God did not appoint us to wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. All right. So um, if God did not appoint me to wrath, then that's an appointment I plan on skipping. <laughs> Does that make sense? That is an appointment that I plan on skipping. If he made another something for me, 
I'm going to take what he made for me and I'm going to take it in my case. How about you? All right. So we gave you seven quick points from First Thessalonians 5, 1 through 9. Number one, God expects you not to be ignorant of this thing called times and seasons. He says, you have no need that I, you should write. I should write to you about this. So you're supposed to know how this works. Two, there is a special day of judgment here called the day of the Lord. Now, if I believe the other scriptures, I got to believe this one, too. I can't cherry pick this, the passages of scripture that I choose to believe. All right. This is as much New Testament as God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. So if I choose to believe that one, I got to believe this one, too. Right. And this is why I'm very concerned with all of my hyper grace teaching preachers. Because all they want to tell you is about all of the love scriptures without the judgment scriptures. And both of those is Jesus. Okay. Number three, it is clear from this scripture that some will be enjoying themselves until destruction arrives and they will not avoid destruction. The day will catch them unaware and they will not escape like a thief in the night like a burglar breaking into their house when they're somewhere sleeping, that's how it's going to catch them. It's, for them, it's going to be darkness, and they're going to get caught sleeping when they should be up. Okay? Now, this is true both for those who are in the world and true for believers who are not prepared. Because Jesus told us about five wise virgins and five foolish. And the foolish ones slept and didn't have enough oil. Anybody know I'm preaching the Bible now? Okay. And then they, the five foolish ones said, hey, give me some of what you got. And she was like, baby, bye. <laughs> you, you, got to, you got to go for what you know. Because see, there's coming a time. There comes a day when everybody's got to be ready for themselves. You can be sleeping in the same house with somebody. But listen, I love Nedra with all my heart, but I'm planning on going. I want her to go with me. I want us to do it together. But listen, they were, they were all virgins, but five were prepared and five weren't. Now, those are the words of Jesus. So what am I going to do with that? I can't, I can't write that out of the Bible because it doesn't, it doesn't conform to the fact that Jesus might shut the door and leave somebody that's a virgin out when he said it. So these scriptures are to warn us. I can't be sleep on the things of God. I can't be playing. There are signs going around me telling me time's getting short, and then I'm still want to play like time is long. Don't do that. All right? The destruction will come as labor pains upon a pregnant woman. Now, um, men preachers said it's just painful, but they hadn't been pregnant, so they didn't know. But pregnancy doesn't happen all at once. There are contractions and they start and they're painful. And then the pain gets greater 
and the distance between them gets shorter and shorter until the baby is birthed. Except the baby that's being birthed here is called the day of the Lord. So a pregnant woman doesn't expect that I'm going to have this is my last contraction. If the baby's still in her, she knows it's going to get worse. Okay, so it would be unwise as we progress towards the end of days to think that I'm going to get a day and one day I'm going to just it's going to be all right. Until Jesus come back to get us, it's not going to be all right. But I'm going to be awoke. <laughs> I'm not going to be sleeping through this thing. I'm going to be the person that's awoke and ready. Number five, we see a different destiny for the vigilant believer. Vigilant, the one who is watching and sober, the one who is awake and sober, that person has a different destiny than the one who sleep and drunk. We already know that the people that are out in the world, they're hit. The Bible tells you today just has to catch them on where they on the wrong. You on the wrong team, man. You wearing the wrong jersey. So if you want to get out, you need to jump on my side. Remember when um, Moses came down from the mountain and they were they were um, worshiping the golden calf, and he said, "Who's on the Lord's side?" And brother stood on his side like, listen, <laughs> I might have been with you before, but it's time for me to backslide to where Moses is. I'm on the Lord's side. It's time for you to switch jerseys if you're on the wrong team. Okay? And so if, I, if I'm a believer, but I choose to sleep and be drunken with the world, if I hang out with the world, I'm going to get the judgment that the world gets. That, that was what Lot's trouble was. The Bible, and I'm going to show you this in Scripture, the Bible calls him righteous, calls him just. Same word for righteous or just. But it said, righteous Lot vexed his righteous soul with their unrighteous deeds. He wanted to be saved, but he wanted to be too close to what they was doing. And so one of the warnings we'll see in scripture is there's some stuff, you know what? God's going to judge that. So you can stand over there, but I'm going to stand over here. I just, I need to put some distance between you and me because that stuff is about to be judged. And when that stuff is judged, I don't want your judgment to fall off over on me. Right? In the book of Jude, it talks about those that perished in the gainsaying of Korah. In other words, when the ground was opening up around Korah, everybody that was near him started running the other direction. Because they didn't want to just fall in being too close to the person that was about to be judged. All right? So, now this isn't... <laughs> This isn't scared straight, but it is, it is being vigilant and sober. I was going to say scared sober. <laughs> I can't. I can't. And, and, and Corinthians, it says, because we understand the terror of the Lord, we persuade all men. 
I understand that there is judgment coming. Listen, I don't have to. You judge me. I ain't my job to judge you. I got to judge me because if I judge me, I won't get judged with the world. So I'm, I don't have enough time. Listen, 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 listen. There's not enough time in my day to judge what you're doing. It's going to take everything I got to make sure that this one soul I got is fit for heaven. I got time to judge you. Now, I got to warn you. And you may not like my warnings. You may not like my warnings. I don't know if I can do anything about that. I may not be a Christian like you're a Christian, but I am a Christian. Listen, I don't have my own standard. Where'd you get yours from? And then people have bumper stickers and T-shirts saying only God can judge me. You think that's good? That's not a good thing. That is not a good thing. Because when he started judging um, and you on the, and there's no blood to cover it, you, yo, you hit, you stuck, Right. Number six, we must lead a spiritually sober life. Don't be caught up going along with the worlds so that you don't go along with the word. Live a life of faith in Jesus and a love for him. See, we said it last week, faith for us is more than cars, cash, and cribs, and I'm all for all three of those. But faith doesn't stop there for me. Faith, it helps me avoid calamities, catastrophes, catastrophes, and cataclysmic judgments that are coming on the world. Things are coming on the world, and the scripture says it's bad. And just when you think it's as bad as what it could be, it's going to get worse. Because that's the way a pregnancy is. Until the baby is born, it's going to get more painful. No, No mother is surprised by that. Okay. So we're, we just want to be those people that's up with God. And then finally, number seven, our minds should have a clear picture with firm expectation of God saving us from wrath. Taking the helmet, the hope of salvation. My mind should be very clear that if I stay sober and I stay woke, that's the way this generation says it. Everybody wants you to stay woke. If I stay sober and stay woke, then I'm going to be delivered. Because God did not appoint me to wrath. Scripture is very clear about that. Right. So what we just want to understand is how things are unfolding so that we can understand the times in which we live. All right. A critical perspective on end time events. And then I'm going to give you the list and we're going to start into number one and see how far we get. A critical perspective on end time events. Number one is the preeminence principle. Jesus is the subject, right? That's just simply says Jesus is the main idea of anything that we deal with related to the end times. Number two, all scripture form a single book written by a heavenly author. It is 66 connected books, not 65 plus one appendix we aren't supposed to read or understand. <laughs> I heard one preacher say, I believe the Bible from Genesis to maps, and I believe the maps too. 
<laughs> it's a single book. So there is an internal coherency. I can see things that ties to other things that God has already said, and those things function together. All right? And we gave you an example of that last week. Then number three, we said that prophetic scriptures give us a sense of time, timing, and the times so that we can be in tune with the will of God in our generation, not drunk and disorderly like the world. It gives me a sense of time, okay? Because if I look at my watch and I know what time it is, I know certain things. Like there's times that I have to get up because it's time for me to go to work. There's another certain time telling me, okay, it's time for me to check out. I'm, I'm about out today. I done put in a good day's work. I'm out, all right? So there's a sense of time. That should give me such that things are just random events, right? So a person who has no restraint to know what time it is, they can live loose. Now, when I'm on vacation, I don't keep that same sense of timing as if when it's time for me to work, right? When I'm on vacation, I roll out of bed when I want to. But it's a day that I'm working then I got to have a sense of what time it is. I can't be just sleeping until I feel comfortable. Jesus said it this way, I must work the work of him that sent me while it is day because night is coming when no man can work. Jesus had a sense of where he was on the time clock of God. And he's telling us that we should have that same kind of sense. It's not only time, but it's also timing. Timing doesn't just have to deal with, um, okay, what time is it? Timing has to deal with it, you know, um, when I want to talk to my boss about a raise, I pick the moment just right. Sometimes I go to say stuff and then I try to read the room and say, this is not the moment to say that. That's timing, right? Sometimes people talk to their spouse without a sense of timing. This is not the timing for me to say that. And then you just say it anyway, and then it goes bad. And the Lord told you not to say it, told you to shut your mouth. Kids don't do that with their parents. And oh, by the way, parents don't do it with the kids neither. Okay, so timing has a sense of, see, there's a, a Greek word, chronos, that deals with time as in terms of five o'clock, six o'clock, seven o'clock. Timing is kairos. It's a different word. It's just saying it's the right season for this thing to happen. And then it helps you to understand the times. The times has to do with the season in which I live. Like, Man, we thought that civil rights had done certain things, but then all of a sudden now it's fake news and, and uh, you know, Nazi flags is coming back out and, you know, okay, you mad at me about kneeling for the American flag, but you're not mad with them about the Confederate flag. 
which was of a country. These people were committing insurrection to destroy the nation. But you it's okay for them to have that flag. But you don't like for me kneeling against this one. That's the times in which we live. And so I want to understand prophetic scripture so I can see those things. And see, that's one of the reasons why I want to I want to study the book of Revelation is because it's giving me clues of some stuff that God don't like. Now, some of it hasn't fully manifested in my season yet, but I can see it and I can know that God hates that. So if God hates that, then I need to stay far away as I can from that, whatever the that is. Okay. I was listening. Um, one of the ways I study this stuff is I listen to the, I have the Bible on CD and I uh, was just listening to the, to the book of Revelation. And Jesus started talking about, there is this thing called the Deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I hate. Now, if Jesus say, I hate something, I want to find out what that is and make sure I'm very far away from it. Can anybody get an, can I get an amen on that? Whatever that is, I want to be away from that. I'm on, you, you understand what I'm saying? So if there's something over there that you hate Jesus, I'm going to make sure, because when you come, I want you to have all, see all stuff in me you love. So if there's something over there you hate, I'm going to find out what that is, and I'm going to stay my happy self away from that thing. Okay? If I, don't, if I don't even know what that scripture says, then how can I do that? I could be over there, you know, supporting something that he hate. That's why we want to understand that. All right? Um, number four, there's a principle of prophetic pattern repetition that occurs in scripture. Often, Bible scholars find one instance of prophetic fulfillment and lock onto it as if it's the only one. That's an important one because some people, and you're going to find if you take my teaching out and talk to somebody, oh yeah, yeah, that was fulfilled and this, this event happened and I was, I'm not, and, and they might be true, but just because they saw one fulfillment doesn't mean they saw it's the only fulfillment. Okay, that's a huge thing. You could look at um, what Esther and what Haman tried to do with Esther and look at Hitler and say he tried to do the same thing. Because these things repeat over and over again. Okay, so you can't let somebody, well, no, no, I don't mean that because this happened back in 70 A.D. When Titus came and destroyed the temple at Jerusalem. So that's the only fulfillment. See, now people are going to take that one event and say the whole book of Revelation is over. No, it's not. I'm not even saying that wasn't one incident, but to make it the only one is not true. Okay, because patterns in scripture happen over again. It's one of the ways that I can look back and know what's going to happen in the future. God said it's going to be like the days of Noah. Then I need to read what was happening in the days of Noah so I will know. 
If it's going to be like the days of Sodom and Gomorrah, I need to go back and see what's going to happen in the future. Sometimes people do. To me, that's that is that is deceptively simple. You need. I was going to say you need a theologian to confuse it. It's not fair to theologians, though. All right. Number five, there is a pattern of prophetic types and shadows that foreshadowed the first coming of Christ. This is also true for the second coming. And we're going to show you where Jesus took Old Testament scriptures and preached about his first coming. This was talking about me. This was talking about me. This was talking about me. Just like Moses lifted up a serpent, so the Son of Man must be lifted up. And I, if I be lifted up above the earth, I will draw all men unto me. He, was, he went back and was showing about what was going to happen in his first coming. But listen, just like there were Old Testament scriptures that talked about his first coming, there's Old Testament scriptures that talked about his second coming. Number six, Satan has always wanted to assume the place of God, whether in heaven and on earth throughout history. This will not change. So what we're going to see as we look at this principle is, just like there are types of Christ in the Bible, we're going to see that there are types of antichrist in the Bible. And we're going we're gonna to see that there was this thing, this back and forth, okay? And you get to the point where you can, you can look at one and then you can tell me the answer. So if Moses is a type of Christ, then the Pharaoh must be a type of the Antichrist. Right? He's the one that's trying to keep God's people in bondage. And Pharaoh was worshipped like he was a god, wasn't he? Okay, so you can begin to see that Satan has always tried to be like God. And it helps us understand things. Number seven, there are three distinct groups that have collective destinies being dealt with by God. The, number one, the nations of the earth. Number two, the nation of Israel. And three, the holy nation. That's us, the church. Praise the Lord. Praise God that he pulls us out of the nations of the earth and makes us a nation all to ourselves. So you got to be, listen, 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 listen. You got to be careful because you might think Jesus is an American. Okay, so you, you think he, got, <laughs> he a car-carrying Democrat or Republican or whatever. And then you on one side hating other people in the body of Christ who's on a different side, and he don't let you have that option. Now, if you come out of the kingdom and just take your national thing and you say there's a bunch of good people on the other side, you know, mowing down protesters with their car and you call them a bunch of good people. And then you, you, you are a preacher. I'm looking at the camera now. You a preacher. And then you saying this is God's man. 
Hold it. If you stay over there with those nations, you're going to get those nations judgment. Now, you want to be over here with me in the church. But if you stay over there, you can get the stuff that they're going to get. And then finally, number eight, we've already dealt with this. And there's a clear pattern in scripture of diverging destinies, destinies going in two different directions. Some miraculously saved, others horribly lost. If you want to be saved, do what saved people do. If you want to be lost, do what lost people do. All right. Now let's go back to number one. And I'm going to give you some scriptures for this one. Number one is the preeminence principle. Jesus is the subject. Turn to Colossians chapter one, and we're going to read verse 12 through 18. The preeminence. Something that is preeminent, it's before everything that sticks out. Preeminence means that Jesus is the first and the biggest and the greatest of everything. All right. Colossians chapter one, verse 12 through 18, 12 through 18 says, giving thanks to the father who has qualified us to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the power of darkness. Stop, 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 stop. God, stuff's going to happen to folks in darkness, but I'm already out. He has past tense. I'm going to kill you. You ever heard the devil tell you that? If he could kill you when he wanted to, you'd already be dead. He has delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us into the kingdom of the son of his love in whom we have redemption. Stop, stop, stop. He, he, redemption is, is God's ability to pull us out of anything bad and wrong. We have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. Now he's talking about Jesus. He, Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation, for by him all things were created that are in heaven and that are on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created through him and for him, and he is before all things, and in him all things consist. And he is the head of the body of the church, who is the beginning and the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he may have the preeminence. Jesus is the subject. Okay? So if you ever hear any study on end times, that doesn't leave with Jesus being a subject, they got it off. In all things, he must have the preeminence. All right? So that's one key perspective. Now, let's look at Revelation chapter 1, verse 1. The revelation of who? The revelation of who? Jesus Christ. Oh, it's not the revelation of the false prophet not the revelation of the bees. It's not the revelation of the mark of the bees, them locusts, them frogs, them witnesses, the four horsemen of the apocalypse. It's not the revelation of all those things, is it? Okay. So just like I could go in Genesis and know that, that the revelation of Jesus as the seed of the woman 
or the one who would be offered by God like Abraham was offered, offering his son. Like I could go all through these scriptures and I could preach to you and he's the bright and morning star and people screaming and hollering. This, this scripture tells me I could spend time in Revelation and get a whole new set of insights on who Jesus is. Because the book is about Jesus. All right. Now, why is that important? Because there's all these subplots and bit actors. There's these villains and other things that are there, but they're not the main. They're not the main idea. When I was uh, in school, they'd have you read a paragraph and they say, tell us what the main idea of that paragraph was. And if I pick something other than the main thing, I got it wrong. If you come out of this study understanding something other than who Jesus is, then you got it wrong. There are people studying the Antichrist who do not know the Christ. I started a study. I didn't even finish it. I wanted to go through every chapter and find how many different revelations that I can see of Jesus in it. And I'm going to tell you, there's more different, distinct revelations of Jesus in the book of Revelation than almost any book in the Bible. I know we know he's the way, the truth, and the life. He's the great I am. He's the good shepherd. He's all those things. And we, we study those in the Gospels. And so when somebody says that, you can say amen because you spent time studying it. But there's some other ones here that many of us haven't studied. Because we were scared looking at the villain instead of looking at the victor. <laughs> we, we looked at the enemy and the enemy scared us more than the hero. Because somehow we got convinced that the main idea wasn't the main idea. And the word there, revelation, um is the word apocalypsis, where we get where the, the term apocalypse means, but the word there literally just means an unveiling. It's an unveiling of Jesus so that we can see him in his glory. Now, there's people that get excited about Jesus. Oh, Jesus. Oh, what a wonderful child. He's not a child no more. Okay, so if your picture of Jesus still has a manger scene around it, he ain't going back to the manger ever, ever, ever again. Got it? Okay, there are some church people that have, they don't have a cross, they have a crucifix. And they have a picture of Jesus on the cross. Listen, he ain't on the cross no more, and he's never going back. Now, He's got the holes in his hands. He's got the holes in his side. He got the holes in his feet. But those holes, if he had something in his hand, it wouldn't fall through because the glory of God flows through him and it would hold it up. 
He's not on the cross no more. The revelation of Jesus, the way that he's coming again, you got to read the book of Revelation. This is how Jesus looks when you're going to see him. You're never going to see him in a manger. The people that saw him have lived and died. You're not going to see him on a cross. The people that saw him on a cross have lived and died. What you're going to see is the Jesus that is talked about in this book, the unveiling of him coming as king of kings and lord of lords in a vesture dripped in his own blood with a sword coming out of his mouth with a voice like many waters. That's the Jesus you and I get to see. So if that's the one we get to see, I think we should know something about that one. All right. So make sure you believe more in the Christ than you do in the Antichrist. Make sure you don't get hooked up by side themes, subplots, heroes, villains, extras, and stagehands. <laughs> it's, a great, it's a great dramatic unfolding, but don't get detracted by the side events. Those are just subplots. Those are just actors. We want to keep our eye on the main character, the main idea, and his name is Jesus. My side commentary to this is that the only group that want to consistently teach the book of Revelation is the cult called Jehovah's Witnesses. Mm. The thing is, they don't even believe in Jesus. So they want to read a book about the main character and don't believe in the main character. I was studying this one day and the Lord said to me, if Jehovah's Witnesses ever believe Jehovah's Witness about his son, they leave the kingdom hall and enter the kingdom of heaven. Yeah. If Jehovah's Witnesses ever believed Jehovah's Witness about his son, because Jehovah's Witness says, this is my beloved son, and him I'm well pleased. Hear him. That was Jehovah's Witness. If the Jehovah's Witnesses ever believe what Jehovah witnessed about his son, they'd leave the kingdom hall and come into the kingdom of heaven. Yeah, you can quote me on that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The problem is they knock on your door on Saturday. Mm-hmm. And hey, we got, we got a thing on end time events. No, no, you need to come to my church so you can learn about end time events. You think you, you understand this. You can't understand this because you don't even believe that it's a revelation of Jesus Christ. So you read stuff and God's not going to explain it to you because you don't believe in the main character. He can't. So all you can do is look at subplots, themes, side characters, and try to make sense of them because you don't even know who the Christ is. And so you're going to try to figure out the rest of it without the main character. And it just doesn't work. Do you see how the preeminence principle drives us? Now, I'm telling you, if you get that right, that'll center everything that you see. So, so you're no longer freaking out because Jesus is still Jesus. 
from the first chapter to the last one, from the first verse to the last verse, he's still the Jesus that you know. And this one describes him as a Jesus with great power and glory and authority, with great love, but with great judgment. And so people that leave that part of him, if they leave these scriptures out, then they miss the part that God will judge. It can't be God, can't, because he loves mankind, so we can't judge him. Child, please. He, he's the same one. He's the same love. The loving God is the judging God. All right? Now, number two, we said all scripture forms a single book written by a single heavenly author. 66 connected books, not just 65 plus one appendix that we aren't supposed to read or understand. <laughs> Look at 2 Corinthians 13 and 1. Here, there's a principle here. I call it the two or three witness rule, and it helps us. 2 Corinthians 13 and 1 says, this is the third time I am coming to you by the mouth of two or three witnesses. Every word shall be established. Okay, this is one of the rules of interpretation. Now, this is true in terms of your personal prophecy. Like if somebody came, I got a word from the Lord for you. It might even be a real word. But until he gives me two or three, I don't I'm not supposed to act on it just because one person says something to me. Even if I love and trust that person. I shouldn't even change my life on an internal witness because I can only be one. My spirit bears witness with the Holy Spirit that I'm his child, but that only counts for one witness. And if I'm not careful, my soul can try to imitate my spirit. So if it's something too deep, I don't even run off with my own witness. I think it's God, but it could just be something I want to do, and I'm asking him to co-sign it. So before I'm making a life-changing decision, I need two and maybe a third witness if it's too deep. So somebody tell me something. Hey, hey are you going to do something about it? Yeah, yeah. I'm not going to despise it. Despise not prophecies. Prove all things. How do you prove it? Okay, I'm going to take it down and I'm going to sit on it. No, no, you're supposed to jump because I'm a prophet. Oh, really? That's how that's supposed to go? No, 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 no. I'm going to sit on it and see if God sends me a second or third witness. Right? The devil is not allowed to give you three witnesses. He can't because if he did, then he can mimic God and the God won't let him mimic him. There's got to be some flaw in it that lets me know that's not God. All right. Now, I'm going to take this principle and tie it with another principle for scripture that we're using. And that that is second, excuse me, Ephesians chapter 2 verse 19 through 20. I'm going to get as far through number 2 as I can and we'll pick up here next week. Ephesians 2, 19 through 20. Now, therefore, you are no longer strangers and foreigners, 
but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. Now, there are people that will preach this, and their revelation of this is that only people who walk in the office of apostle and prophet can lay foundation in the church. That's their revelation on this, okay? I understand why they say it, but I don't think that that's what this was saying, okay? I believe that apostles and prophets lay foundation, but as a teacher, I'm laying good foundation in this church, even though I have yet to be called formally an apostle. A good teacher can lay good foundation in your life, even though they don't walk in the office of an apostle. Okay? Now, I'm giving you a geometric revelation. Geometry, geometry. So in this building, there is a foundation. And in the corner, there is a cornerstone from which the rest of the foundation was laid. So imagine this is a foundation, and this is the length of it, and then this is the width of it, okay? So if I say in this direction, the church is built on the foundation of the Old Testament prophets, the New Testament apostles, Jesus Christ is the cornerstone because he's the last of the Old Testament and first of the New Testament. Jesus is the last of the Old Testament prophets and first of the New Testament apostles. Let's let's see him let's see him do that. Turn to Matthew 5 verse 27 and 28 and then we're going to read 43 and 44. Matthew chapter 5 verse 27 and 28. And it says, "You have heard that it was said of those of old, you shall not commit adultery. Who said that? Moses said that. That was an Old Testament prophet. Now watch Jesus, the cornerstone, turn the corner. But I say to you that whoever looks at a woman to lust for her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. He turned the corner to a whole new level of accountability, didn't he? He, he referenced what Moses said, and then as the cornerstone, he turned the corner. And we went in a whole different direction. Now let's look at verse 43 and 44. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Who said that? Moses said that again. Now watch him turn the corner. But I say to you, love your enemies. Bless those who curse you. Do good to those who hate you. And pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you. As the cornerstone, he turned the corner. And now... Even though there was one whole stream of thought in the Old Testament, he turned the corner and it went, love took us to a whole nother direction, didn't it? Do you see that? Okay. So what I'm telling you that Ephesians was telling you that the church is built on the Old Testament prophets, the New Testament apostles, but Jesus Christ is the cornerstone. So, if I can find truth established prophetically by the Old Testament prophets, the New Testament apostles, 
in Jesus Christ as the cornerstone, then I have I can be established that that's what God intends to be. Okay, now, why is that important? Because when Jesus was talking about prophetic scriptures, he, he would look back and talk about things that Moses wrote. He talked about Noah and Sodom and Gomorrah. He talked about things that Daniel spoke about. And so there's Old Testament, there's what Jesus said, and then there's what Paul and Peter and James and John wrote in the New Testament. Okay, so if the, if the church is built on that foundation, then I can be okay taking that kind of foundation to build up my truth about prophetic scriptures. Why is that important? Because there are people that'll preach to you that all the Old Testament has been fulfilled, and it hasn't. There are Old Testament prophets talked about stuff. Some of it hasn't happened yet. So if you want to throw the baby out with the bathwater saying Jesus fulfilled all the law, and they didn't say he didn't fulfill all the law, but there was prophecies beyond law, then you'll lose certain things that God has for us to know. All right? Any study on end time events should also study Noah a lot. It should also reference the books that Jesus referenced in terms of terms of people like Daniel and other prophecies like Zechariah and Ezekiel. And just because the law was fulfilled doesn't mean every prophecy has yet to be fulfilled. All right. The challenge that the Old Testament prophets have, and this is where we're going to stop today. The challenge that the whole prophets, the Old Testament prophets have is they never saw the church because in their dispensation, the church was hidden from them. All they saw was Jesus dealing with the Jews and the nation of Israel. So their prophecies have gaps in it because they didn't see you and me. They didn't know. And how could they know? All they knew was what God was telling them. And Paul was very clear that what God had revealed through him about the Gentiles coming into the church was hidden in previous ages and dispensations. God didn't tell them. Man, Daniel said, God, what does this stuff mean? I don't understand. He said, go your way. You're going to sleep and, and, and you're going to raise up in your lot on the last day. God's going to come back. God's going to send Michael. He's going to deal with the children of Israel in the days of the Antichrist, there's other stuff. And God said, I'm not telling you because it wasn't his business. <laughs> it was not his business. He said, Paul said, God told me that's a revelation that the Gentiles could become one with us in Christ. They did not know that. Zechariah didn't know it. Ezekiel didn't know that. It was hidden in scripture. Paul took, went back to the book of Isaiah and showed his ministry to the Gentiles. Through you, all the families, Moses, through as Moses wrote what God told Abraham, through you, all the families of the world would be blessed. There was hidden truth of it, 
but they didn't understand that there was this thing called the church. They didn't know. So when you read Old Testament prophecies, you can read them and they're true and valid. You just got to understand that there were things that God just didn't tell them. So if you read them by themselves, even they can't understand it because the Jewish people can't get all of it out. Because if you don't accept Jesus, how can you get it all out? They have, they have stuff that talks about Messiah and the Antichrist all in the same things. They're not talking about his first coming. They saw his second coming. But they can't piece it all together. Why? They don't know Jesus. Does that make sense? All right. Well, praise the Lord.